Another episode of the Kellogg Report. Here we are in the midst of more dystopian crisis. It really is hard to believe. It's one after another. And we have the absolute worst person as the president in charge of trying to handle this stuff. None of it is easy at all. I get that. But holy shit. So this, I've started a non-white perspective series in honor of the George Floyd movement and the uh, extrajudicial killing of African Americans that has sparked an uprising across the nation. Every state in America has had protests and riots and... That has preempted some of my content that I had about the pandemic, but we are able to actually tie the two together. Um, So my first in this series, my first pod in this series is uh, a two-part podcast with my friend Jason Woodle, who I've known for quite a long time. Uh, Jason is not a white person, and so he has been... Not only a great friend, a bandmate, um, a confidant, a, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of, fellow board member, but he's not white. <laughs> so that's important when it has come to a lot of different things in my life. Um, and this, our conversation over the course of two days has enlightened me. And I think that we can all learn something from this this repartee, this dialogue. Um, whether it's Black Lives Matter, Charlottesville, living in the South um, around all of this, the dynamics of being in the South and being black, uh, what Donald Trump and Trumpism and its impact on all of this, what a Black Lives Matter sign in your yard means, how to have a dialogue with passive-aggressive Trump supporters who aren't tuned into these societal impacts of racism. All kinds of stuff. Um, There's a lot, so it's going to be split into two pods. So here's the first one. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, So without further ado... Hey, this is Jason Woodle. Jason, what makes you tick give us some of your uh bona fides i like it when you say bona fides yeah yeah i like the latin um well bona fides i mean are hard to come by these days (laughs) no shit they're a lot more expensive when we started college in oxford oh i'm still i'm still paying off some of these bona fides well one the first one i would have to say is that i've known you josh for almost 30 years it's crazy but it's true uh but I have a, a bachelor's in religious studies from the University of Tennessee. Um, I've got a master's in international peace and conflict resolution from American University. And my specialty was justice and reconciliation in deeply divided societies. A totally irrelevant topic today. Um, I have an MBA from Vanderbilt. And um, I, you know, I've done race relations work. I've been through undoing racism trainings. 
Um, I was the chair of the board of the Race Relations Center of East Tennessee for a number of years. And uh, for a number of years, I was the program manager for diversity and inclusion at a federal agency uh, that operates in the Southeast, who I will remain, who will remain nameless. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've been uh, waist deep in race issues as a, you know, professionally um, and academically um, for my entire career. And as a person from a mixed race background, um, it's always, race has always been a subject that's been inten intensely sensitive to me and that I've been tuned into. So that probably informed a lot of my decisions uh, in, the, in uh, the education that I pursued. So yeah, man, I've seen it. I've seen a lot. I haven't seen it all. I've seen a lot. Well, to your credit, you've also traveled the world extensively. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and been privy to the, the cultural diversity in the globe which I think it, more people had that opportunity there would we would have less provincialism and uh, hate and, and from the, the silos of our environments. Indubitably. I'm so glad to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to, uh, it's good to talk to an old friend about, in these these really tumultuous times and talk about all the different uh ways that it's impacting our lives and or maybe it's not i don't know i mean you know you you however i would like to know what it's like to live in lynchburg virginia when uh you know jerry falwell is kind of pretending that life isn't the way it is well you know I I don't know Jerry Falwell Jr. very well. His dad I didn't know either, but you know, his his dad came across as a real genuine kind of guy like uh oh gosh, when I say genuine, I guess, you know, I'm thinking about those Christian values that that some folks learn about growing up uh, going to Sunday school, um, you know, faithfulness, uh commitment to others, uh servant leadership those sorts of things. I don't see that coming from the current climate, but fortunately, uh, Liberty University doesn't define the culture in Lynchburg uh, at large. So uh, here in Lynchburg, I got to say, you know, we had, uh, we've had two nights of violence and we're on a mandatory uh, curfew now from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. You're required to be in your homes or you could be charged with a misdemeanor. And that's a direct result of the last two nights uh, where we had uh, we had some really bad things. And then, you know, when the day when the when the new day dawns, we've had some really good things going on. We had a protest today that ended up being very peaceful. And there was a, a demonstration yesterday afternoon with two churches, uh, neither of which are affiliated with with Liberty University or the Thomas Road Baptist Church that he uh, that he belongs to. Uh, but two other congregations had uh, a really nice and joyous um, demonstration yesterday. So we've had a couple of good demonstrations, and then we've had a couple of you know riots where shots were fired. So it's it's a mixed bag, uh, but it feels like we're sitting on top of a powder keg. Well said. I, I, yeah, there's all kinds of different factors, but let's stay on the Lynchburg thing for a second. Now you're you're right downtown. Actually, on Church Street, right? Uh, yeah, I'm across the street from the police department. So yeah, so you're you're in the thick of it now. What are you seeing as far as 
you know, talk about some on the ground stuff that you're, that you're experiencing and, and observing and witnessing from a, a residential standpoint, you know, someone who lives there and has a stake in the community. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. And as a guy who likes to sit on his front porch and observe, right. you know, I've right. seen uh, two nights ago was Sunday night and uh, we had, we could hear gunshots from the house uh, that were going off at a nearby restaurant. It turns out that the owners um, who, who happened to be white opened up a barbecue restaurant in a predominantly black neighborhood, historically predominantly black neighborhood. And, uh, and in response to a tweet that Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, put out, um, joking about Governor, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's uh, blackface incident, which I'm sure uh, you may have heard about being a Virginia resident, uh, the restaurant yeah. in turn said, hell yeah, that's a great idea. Let's have some blackface uh, pictures with a Klansman on our masks and uh, we'll give them to our employees. Uh, again, who are a lot of them are, live in the community that's predominantly black where this restaurant is. So anyway, the, the message was taken uh, poorly. It was, it was given poorly. It was taken poorly. And that evening, Sunday night, uh, there was a demonstration in front of the restaurant. So according to police reports, the owner of the restaurant had invited some militia members to help him guard the place. So you had guys inside barricaded with, uh, you know, with who had brought their own personal firearms to protect themselves and their friend's property. And then you had protesters outside on the street um, with police. And uh, at some point, reports were of a shot fired from, from the restaurant toward the, toward the crowd, or maybe it was a warning shot. They're still trying to determine whether someone fired a firework or whether a, a shot was fired, which would, which would be a breach of the law in Lynchburg. But, uh, but, shot, but fire, <laughs> return fire was received. And one of the police cars um, was hit about eight times and like, you know, that's the sort of shit that you hear about from the 1960s. That's not the sort of shit that we were thinking would happen after having Barack Obama elected as the first black president almost four years ago. So, I mean, in Lynchburg, things changed really quickly, uh, starting with the pandemic and right now leading up to this, uh, this rift between civilians, our civilian police force and other folks who just want to stir up trouble. I, you know, you touched on something really uh, relevant about how are we in this place? And that's a rhetorical question, of course, but it does feel like, you know, none of us grew up in, in the 60s in 1968. And the, when the, the powdered keg of, of racism and the civil rights movement was sort of hitting its apex. But there's so much happening right now that is, that is you know, of a, of a similar ilk. I mean, Shit, 30 years ago was the Rodney King incident. Right. And, you know, the, the L.A. riots. And w w how far have we come? And we, sure, yes, we, we elected a wonderful man who happened to be black to the office of the presidency. Uh, perhaps one of the most qualified uh, people to hold that office. Um, yet that seems to have created a backlash. I, I and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember you even saying when we talked after um, the the white supremacist incidents in Charlottesville that maybe Barack came along too soon. Maybe President Obama came. Maybe America was not ready. Well, you know, I mean, obviously the voters were ready because they elected him. That's a good point. An overwhelming victory. It wasn't the contested election twice. 
Yeah, well, and, and, and neither of the elections were contested like the last two times a Republican was elected to office, if you recall. Mm -hmm. uh, George Bush's uh, really questionable <laughs> legal battle to win the to steal the election. And then Donald Trump, you know, the numbers for the popular vote and the numbers for Electoral College. I mean, for a president who cries as much as he does about uh, cheating and malfeasance in the election process, uh, he's the person who's benefited from it <laughs> in the biggest way. Uh, but yeah, I think Barack Obama, he didn't come along too early. Uh, he was he was voted in probably because he was black by a lot of liberal voters uh, who, who maybe otherwise wouldn't have voted for a similarly situated Democratic candidate if they were white or woman. But Barack Obama got the position and he and he got reelected. Donald Trump came along as, a, you know, as a, a really sort of a punishment to the liberal left for uh, for their um turning their backs on their own race. Uh, and I'm saying that as a person who, you know, I'm a, I have a mixed race background myself, very sensitive to the issues of race in the, in the latest elections and, and even now. Um, and it's, uh, it's always been a weapon that has been, been used to try and scare people. You know, voters are supposed to be scared by black voters, black people. And, uh, you know, it, right now it, it looks to be working. The only thing that might be more powerful than, uh, than fear of, uh, you know, black voters mobilizing uh, would, or Democrats mobilizing would be, uh, you know, I don't know. I just lost my thought. Uh, maybe martial law. Right. Trump is the worst thing, right? I mean. <laughs> well, he is, but I think that voters can be scared even by his authoritarian and autocratic tendencies and that i mean think about it you've got all of these you know these cosplay gun nut white dudes who profess to have their guns in case martial law is declared by the government and either they're lying about that and they just want to be you know intolerant punks or they're going to look at what president did last night as a holy shit moment is this guy you know it seems like this is the act of a desperate man and you know there is a grievance culture within trumpism that, that we can you know explore in a minute um I, i've done multiple times in multiple uh, platforms and avenues but it, that you know he has been playing up the race thing since he got into office i mean since he declared Sure. You know, well, it's um, been before that because he, when he contested Barack Obama's citizenship, true. You know, that was clearly a, a racist dog whistle. Yeah, yeah. Birtherism is is the ultimate dog whistle. Um, yeah, I kind of wonder what these gun nuts are thinking. I mean, here we are. This man is slipping in the polls. There's a hundred thousand dead Americans on his watch from a virus that he could give two shits about. I mean, this man literally did not care. Well, and yeah, go ahead. I mean, and then you see it in, in Lynchburg. I mean, one of his, his sycophantic even evangelical supporters who I think Donald Trump has some blackmail dirt on because old Falwell wasn't the biggest fan of him until Michael Cohen started cleaning up his messes. Regardless, um, here is a man that defies all 
public health recommendations and starts up college classes again. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that. What did, what was that like to be there? And and this was fairly early on, and everybody is kind of shitting bricks and and you know not doing anything or going anywhere. And all we knew was that being hyper cautious was the thing to do because Italy was losing people left and right, and you know there was forty people a day dying in New York hospitals, and yeah. Then Falwell's like, no. Nah, well, talk to us about that. Well, it was a short-lived effort, and it was a short-sighted attempt to pander to 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 the right to Donald Trump. I mean, you know, uh, Donald Trump has somehow managed to marshal the entire what used to be called the the conservative right or the moral majority. He's got them by the balls now, and so he's pretty much picking the tune and making them march in lockstep behind him. Uh, Falwell's just the, probably the most vocal example from my area, uh, but I. But when you look at uh, how Trump has wielded religion as a weapon, and, and I'll point to the the photo that was taken just yesterday, uh, where Donald Trump, uh, with the curfew in Washington D.C., the White House is under attack. Trump's hiding in a bunker, and peaceful protesters are outside. They they disperse the crowd with flashbang grenades and tear gas so that Trump can walk across the street to St. John's Episcopal Church, which was burned on Sunday and hold up a Bible, not in a reverential way. (laughs) Very awkward. In a loving Christian way, but like like Gallagher, the prop comic with a hammer, like he's going to hit you with it. So, I mean, it's, if we, if we have, if, you know, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention, but if you've been paying attention, you're already exhausted from this, the delirium of the, the thinking that this, that comes from this campaign or this, this presidency, this administration. I mean, it's, I, I just, I feel, I really like, I feel bad for Donald Trump. I'm not just a, take away everything he's doing to fuck America in the ass. And everything that he's doing to fuck the world and to pull out America at a time when, when the world needs leadership and to not be a leader when America needs leadership. Take, take all of that away, if you can, just for a second. And think about the poor little man who, who didn't think he would ever get elected and just thought that running for president would be great for name recognition. And then he gets the fucking job. It's harder than he thought. Everybody fucking hates him. And, he, and his world has gotten so tiny. It's a person with their, with their hand on the pulse of the world, but they're, the, but they're living in the tiniest world that you can imagine for a human being that, that, that has mobility and can move around. I mean, the, the guy is a, is a prisoner in his own life. Uh, and in that, By his own choosing. Oh, I mean, well, who knows? I mean, I, I have a feeling well, that, okay. that the pressures of... I'm not a psychoanalyst, but uh, family pressure has... Poor Donald Trump tied into knots. I mean, the guy is is a massively, massively um, insecure, and you know that that's a deep seated, uh, a deep seated flaw in his character that that he's tried to turn into a strength. Um, and and here we are. You know, and they say in democracies you you always get the leadership that you deserve, and in a way, you know, maybe Barack Obama was our, you know was our payment, our curse. Donald Trump's our curse for for the Obama administration, and you know, ah, damn, how are we going to get out of this without a shooting war? I mean, isn't that the question? Like, people want to itchy trigger fingers. 
Well, you know, just interesting note that, you you know, Jason and I were on the phone last night talking about doing a pod um, while Donald Trump was making this absolutely insane statement um, where he said he was going to invoke military powers, the Insurrection Act of 1807, and encouraged civilian resources to use their second amendment rights that's actually what has me most concerned because these cosplaying gun lovers have been spoiling for this for years and this alt-right domestic terrorist movement you know we saw it firsthand in charlottesville yeah. you're talking you know you talk a couple of guys virginia guys here and um you know, I've kind of been living around in and around that town for the last three years, and that city has was changed, was permanently altered that day. And his, I remember you and I spoke not long after that, and the the fear that I think everybody had, and uh, the trepidation, the you know, okay, here's outright bigotry. He's saying very fine people on both sides. It took him 48 hours to denounce white supremacy. Yeah. Took him two days. Two days. And and then he did it and immediately walked back his comments because he was so angry that he had to, that he couldn't just be himself. And that has, you know, for three years been swirling around in the, alt-right world of of white supremacy white nationalism and hate well and you know yesterday instead sorry i'm going to interrupt you for a second no worries. you you made a great point about how he goes to the church for a photo op did you also notice that it was all white people oh yeah so he has you know there's a great account of one of the uh the clergy people from saint john's who there was a you know the patio at saint john's was sort of a um a respite area and there was water and milk and some food and some medical supplies that, that were there as a staging area for triage and whatnot. And, um, but everything was just peaceful and calm and a half hour before curfew, they all got gassed right, and shoved at, you know, with riot shields and shot with rubber bullets. And for what? So this guy can go get a picture done. And he marches across the street, doesn't doesn't address the crowds, with a bunch of white people. Me, at, right there, there were these are these are, the, the, the African American community is hurting. You know, I'm a privileged white guy, so I I try to take my cues from, you know, I've grown up knowing what I am and what I'm not, and I've tried to be sensitive to that. But this this pains everyone. And he's just making it worse. Well, it's showing zero empathy. Well, I mean, he's he's obviously not everyone is against this because he's he's obviously he's <laughs> obviously got yeah. support. I mean, yeah. people are, are they still have Trump flags flying? Not not as many as, as they did, you know, a year ago, but uh, but they're still out there. They're hardcore supporters, and 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 a lot of them have gone underground now that the president has gone off the crazy train. So. You know, I think there are closet white supremacists out there. I'll just go ahead and say that. Uh, and 
they want they want action. You know, you don't buy a bunch of guns to just sit around and look at them and rub them with a diaper. I mean, people take them to the range and they take a I remember going to the range when Obama was in office and seeing targets that were kind of like a, an Obama in a turban target type of shit, you know, to shoot mm -hmm. at the president, which to me shouldn't be allowed for a sitting president and it probably shouldn't it's disrespectful for any person. But if you went to a range now with a Donald Trump target and put it up, I mean, I'm telling you, you're going to get into some shit. Uh, yeah. These guys, so they can dish it out, but they but they can't fucking take it. So uh, Charlottesville is a perfect example of that. You know, if these guys had gone to some redneck town in my home state of Tennessee or Georgia, where you and I spent some time, th there are plenty of places where they would have gotten a marching permit and maybe some public officials would have shown up and gotten in line with them. But they did. They didn't. Yeah. They went to Charlottesville, which is a predominantly white, extremely wealthy, very well educated, friendly, and I guess it's what they would call a soft target for them. So they could just come in, create havoc, and definitely make it a news story. Uh, now, the unfortunate death, uh, you know, and the assaults that took place uh, just show that they also can't control their members. So you've got guys playing with fire who don't know how to fucking uh, how to fucking control their own folks it's 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 when it's when chaos starts now i'll say on you know on the other side of it same thing happens with peace, peaceful protests you can have peaceful protests and you get one guy or a lady throwing a rock and then all of a sudden you've got a riot and you know that's not an american thing that's a human nature mob mentality sort of thing but these these in charlottesville it was it was a planned hit on a weak target by white supremacists who wanted to come as close as they could to the heart of the old South, you know, and, uh, and strike fear into the hearts of liberal white people. Yeah. And also there was the controversy about the Confederate statues and that was, a you know, a hot topic. That was the hot topic of, race. I, I don't see the controversy though. The, they were treasonous. They were fighting for another country. We shouldn't have statues and memorials of people who. Jason, it's it's heritage and history. Oh yeah, I know, and, that, and that's eight, why those eight. statues belong in a museum at Appomattox, the surrender ground yeah. where the Confederacy mm -hmm. officially died in 1865. I mean, four in 1864. So right, so so I mean, the war the war's yeah. over, and the heritage belongs in the museum. You know, that's where you go to yes. celebrate it. You made a great point about. You know, the, it was the perfect storm of things because when Richard Spencer did that, they did a march in May of 2017 with the, um, you know, the guys in, in white polo shirts and tiki torches right. and went on grounds at UVA and caused a big old stink. And uh, and then the initial defense of the preservation of the Confederate statues and then I think they just got the unite the right guys. We're like, this could really be good for us to go back with more people heavily armed because these, you know, like you said, it's a soft target. We'll get it. We don't belong here. You know, culturally, it's not a, it's not, it doesn't, Charlottesville is not a culturally accepting place for that much white supremacy. Now you get out in the hinterlands in the counties just outside of Charlottesville, and oh, there's all kinds of things. There's a lot more Confederate flags out, you know, outside of Charlottesville. Yeah. Than and as somebody that grew up in Virginia, um, you know, I 
in rural Virginia in a rural agrarian setting, uh, racism was was alive and well and healthy where I was growing up, and it was a pretty much mostly white area, and um, I had to to confront a lot of the my own ingrained prejudices and how I was a product of my environment. Talked about that on my last pod, and you know. I was fortunate. I'm fortunate that I had parents that were compassionate, that were activists, that preached and love and, and told us that it was our duty to make the, leave the world a better place than we found it and that there, everyone is, is equal, period. Love is love, all of that stuff. And, you know, I can imagine coming from where I came from or where you grew up, being a white, a white dude, um, that didn't have parents with such uh, a broad base of, of cultural understanding and depth, then how difficult it may be to extricate yourself from those ingrained societal pressures. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, first I want to, you know, I'm not a cultural anthropologist, but, you know, clannishness extends to all, you know, all human groups, people will, you know, birds of a feather will flock together. It just so happens that the Ku Klux Klan happened to take their name from the actual group of people that is, you know, that operates independently, you know, so, you, you know, people do tend to stick with their clique. Um, and it, to overcome that is to leave the home and the environment that you were raised in. And not everyone has the ability or the resources or the good fortune to be able to step outside of the, of their clannish beginnings of the town that they grew up in or the clique that they always hung with in high school. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Uh, and in a way it's a, it's a perfect uh, analogy for how America used to interact with the, with the world, with the global, the global community. We used to be a leader and we would lead by example in a Christian like, I mean, it was a very intentionally, you know, white, male, Christian, generous. That was America. When Ronald Reagan, who was also a fucking racist and, and a <laughs> and homophobe. A few, you know, and, uh, and, and did more damage to the labor movement than anyone I mean, yet heretofore. Well, I mean, decreasing living wages. We can we argue can that. I mean, the, all, at, what you're talking about is, a, is an erosion that has taken place over years. And Democrats are, are, are awfully responsible for that as well. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Bill Clinton. For well, that. You know, we just that's a whole nother it's a whole nother episode. But, <laughs> you know, Bill Clinton is, is three podcasts. It's a three podcast special. But um, but, right. you know, America used to used to lead by that, you know, that light on a hill. You know, it was a Christian uh, white man's burden sort of sort of view of the world. And by engaging in the world, we were we were we were the tide that was rising and lifting all boats. And Donald Trump, for the first time in a long time, has just profoundly said, I reject this as a, as a policy. The United States needs to cut off, close its borders, sever its ties, fuck everybody else. And, you know, and the fact that the, that the Republicans have been convinced or have always wanted to and just didn't have the balls to go along with this notion is appalling. It's galling. And that is where, I mean, we're going to feel the repercussions uh, in the economy for a long time so you know it's man it's it's never seemed so scary 
Yeah, you know, Jason, you touched on the Republican thing. The, the you know, fifty-two senators had a chance to get rid of this asshole, and thought he's not going to be that bad. We got it. Well, we saw his priorities, and a virus came around. He ignored the warnings for two months while it took hold in the banks of and the shores of America, and then he refuses to act with any sort of urgency. But Black people decide that they don't want cops killing them. And within 48 hours, he declares he he gets close to martial law. So, you know, we've come from from Charlottesville, which was the first year of his presidency, which was incredibly disturbing. But that was a big reveal, I think. And now here we are, the powder keg, as you so aptly described it of 40 million people are unemployed. The, the quote-unquote stimulus was $1,200 check to these unemployed people saying, deal with it. Uh, we don't have a plan for economic recovery or a jobs plan to fix this, nor do we, are we doing many health care options. But these private jet companies, they get millions. Oh. So, so here we have Ahmed Aubrey. Now, that happened in February, right? right? Jogging was stalked and murdered by two white supremacists in Brunswick, Georgia. The DA, the white DA, sat on the video evidence for two months and decided to act. Am I getting Josh, you're getting it right, but you and me have both been to Brunswick, Georgia. Absolutely fucking not. These guys deserve to go to jail. Uh, He didn't deserve to be harassed. He didn't deserve to be followed. He didn't deserve to be looked at for more than two seconds. Uh, I didn't watch the video. I don't, I don't watch snuff films. Uh, the guy who was filming it is absolutely culpable for not intervening. He, he got yeah, arrested. As well he should. And then there should be an internal investigation on, uh, on why this reporting didn't take place and why the state had to be involved before, or the federal agents, I believe, had to be involved before charges were brought. Um, but as soon as a higher authority was brought in, they, they knew that this was bad business. And I don't know how as a community in Brunswick you, you get past a crime like that um, other than the way they've always done it, which is just to forget about it and move on because it's not the first time. And, uh, and I'm afraid it's not going to be the last time. Right. Well, then we have Greg Floyd. And George. George, my, my apologies. Sorry. Uh, George Floyd, and I just watched that in its entirety yesterday mm. for the mm. first time in a week, and it shook I'm not watching me. it, man. Uh, I, you know, it's not. It, I had to. I had to. I had to sort of get my head around what was well, happening, and I and I had to watch it, and then say, how can anybody that does watch this and yeah. see this not see the hate and the that is a thin blue line that I can't keep. I hear you, man. And, that, and, and I'll say, I, I think white people should have to watch it. But, but right. black people should not make themselves watch something like that because it just is, you can, because that kind of pain as a black person, I feel it in my blood. I feel it in my DNA. You know, it's in there. Like, because I taste it, I smell it. It's, it's like, it is real. It's me, part of me is dying when I see something like that. I don't, and I've already felt that before. 
you guys need to watch that shit. White people need to feel yeah. that same thing, whether whatever it is, they need to they need to empathize if they can and sympathize for fucking sure, and then do something about it. But I can't I can't watch those. But you know, do you remember the movie Do the Right Thing? Fucking Spike Lee. Well, that movie yeah. came out, and my mom was like, you know, like the most terrifying thing is a black man being killed by the police. You know, like, and, and that was in the eighties. <laughs> and that was the whole theme of that movie, pretty much. Well, it was the main theme. I, you know, I'm not a movie critic, but uh, but it, but that's how the, that's the most uh, striking image in the film was the black man being choked to death by the police, uh, be, and it was in there because it's happened and it's been happening, and ever since Do the Right Thing came out, it still continues to fucking happen. What does that say about us and the value that we have or don't have for the lives of young African-American men? And it used to be that the young black man during the, uh, it was, was it the George Bush campaign, the first one or the Ronald Reagan campaign, where there was a, a black man who was let out on furlough in California. And he was, uh, Willie Horton was his name. Yeah, that was the Dukakis. Uh, right. Bush he committed, committed rape and murder and was used as the face of black terror uh and that same sort of dehumanization of african-americans has been happening since we were brought here as slaves uh by and large and man dude josh it hurts uh, you you made a a prescient statement impactful and i appreciate you being so candid um i, I you know, these are tough things to talk about, but you said that you, the white people need to make that matter to them. And, you know, I imagine you were, I had to talk to Cameron about things, right? Because he was a black yeah. teenager and right. a man and say, all right, uh, you know, nobody had this conversation with me as a white teenager. But I had to talk to him about profiling and different ways that authority figures handle. Yeah, because if if Cameron wants to wear his hair in braids, his chances of incarceration go up five times, which is 100 times more than your chances. You know, like of him just getting stopped for he gets profiled just because the way he wears his hair. You know what I mean? That's crazy. But that's the way it is. Yeah. And so now, as you know, your powder keg description, we have another extrajudicial killing of an African-American. And in a COVID coronavirus nation that has been decimated, you know, more than 100,000 people killed in three months by a virus where that became a political football oh, as yeah. well. And that's what I don't understand. That to me is, so now we have actual political f nuclear weapons that are out there as in the, 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 the issue of cop killing, you know, black men, rel innocent black men. I mean, it's alleged that, that, that he passed a $20 bill, a fake 20. Okay. Does that require you to, to use excessive force and put him on the ground, much less put your knee in his neck. I mean, come on. I mean, the problem is, so, is the situation here, devolved. You know, bad decisions were made, and then a series of bad decisions were made, and then it ends up in a catastrophe. 
Okay, so here we are with the nations on right. fire right now. As we speak, every city in the country is on fire. My nephew last night, Cameron, who we alluded to, was in Asheville last night, got hit with a rubber bullet, you know, was on the front lines of a peaceful protest that turned... Uh, nah, you know, he was throwing rocks. Not peaceful. <laughs> he's, he's not no, a rock he's not. thrower. But he would stand um, next to one. You know... Yeah, I don't know what happened, but I was told that there were, you know, white agitators. And I don't I don't I don't know where they're from or what from, but I've seen a lot of footage of that myself as well. And it, where does you know, I at the same time if that cop hadn't had choked that dude's life out with his yeah. knee, we wouldn't be nuancing whether or not a white guy is agitating a right. demonstration. Let's not lose sight of that. And how do we maintain that focus, Jason? When, you know, I, I, some of my more fucking ambivalent white peers are, are placing a value on inanimate objects. Yeah. Like a building. No, there's a, well, you know, there's a deeper pain that has to be realized than just the, these deaths that are happening on the news and a jackass president saying stupid shit. I mean, for one thing, any any real leader would have already come forward and addressed the nation as a man and, and called for people to be calm. Donald Trump is incapable of that. Now, even if he does do it in front of the camera, they're not going to be his words, and it's not going to be from the heart, and you're going to be able to tell. Uh, so that's one thing. But addressing this deeper pain to keep it front of mind all the time. I mean, th these are um, symptoms of a systemic illness that is over 400 years old. And, you know... Donald Trump is stirring up this mess at his own peril. Uh, you know, I just. Is it? Well, it kind of depends on your perspective of history. There's an argument to be made that the country, the nation as an idea, as an entity, has its own sort of identity and an ego, its own self um, sense of self-preservation. Uh, but, you know, Donald Trump's showing that one man can make changes in a system that is, that is inherently corrupt. So, so is Donald Trump a symptom of our, um, our, our already well underway decay, like a tooth that looks good on the outside, but it's been rotten from the inside. And Donald Trump is just a fucking Tootsie Roll, you know, that pulls that tooth off. Yep. Or is Donald Trump the Tootsie Roll that fucking rots your teeth? You know, makes makes your problem worse. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying, but you said to his detriment. I'm with you on the fact. Yeah, that he's a, well, he's I mean, you know, this guy doesn't care issue. about about his legacy. If he did, he he would be doing things differently. So you know, he's going to end up being considered the worst thing that's ever happened to America since you know since John Wilkes Booth essentially, or since Andrew uh, Andrew Johnson. He's that kind of fucking bad for the country. And the people that have all gone all in with him don't have. I'm afraid that the the okay. Let me tie this together for you in the big with a big bow on it. Is the black the desperation from the black protesters who were able to mobilize in just a few days and and potentially light every city on fire um, can only be matched by the desperation of white people in power seeing everything that their fathers have promised them slip away into the hands of the black masses. And that sort of fear on both sides 
is untenable and creates the sort of rift you had in the 1860s and, and the 1850s, really. So that's it. You're, wel- you're welcome. And <laughs> thank you. That was, that was a wonderful summation. We can, we can talk about the, the 19th century uh, cultural milieu and um, Lincoln's ultimate extinction position. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I went there. I Josh. went there on my last pod, but obviously... Didn't Did how many people that. listen to that one? <laughs> Way too many, yeah. man. Come yeah. on. Well, listen, I mean, I mean you know, just you another know, history number. is a thing that you and I both, you know, both like. It provides context, yeah. you know, for the present. And one of the greatest historians of the South, well, and, uh, you know, the, the lie of uh, Southern, you know, the, the whole myth of the, of the proud South, you know, after the South was beaten, they, you know, things were shitty down here in Virginia, all over. All of these towns were overrun with carpetbaggers. Uh, they had free and open elections, and all of these former slaves and black people got elected to office for the first time in Reconstruction. And one old, unrepentant yeah. Confederate general, uh, Jubal Early, uh, retired to Lynchburg after fleeing uh, federal forces to Canada and eventually being pardoned by, uh, by Johnson. I think I hear Spencer in the background. He loves Jubal Early. He loves when I talk about Jubal Early. So Jubal, yes. uh, Jubal spent the remainder of his life in retirement, uh, convalescing in a home one hill over, writing about the history of the South and what it, what it really meant, the values that drove the, the war and what they were actually fighting for and, and why they lost. Uh, and that, that interpretation of the, the events after the war and leading up to it uh, is still is still reverberating now in in the flying of Confederate flags. I mean, the reason that people take pride in flying the Confederate flag is because it represents their their rebelliousness, their sense of freedom, their independence, all of those things that Scott good Scots Irish people cherish, um, and being left the fuck alone, uh, I might add, and uh, and and a lot of the the value of the, the historical value of that image, the, the Confederate battle flag can be tied right back to Jubal Early's writings about what, what the South meant to the people who were fighting for it. You know, and of course it was based on slavery, but, um, but, but it was glamorized. It was glorified. And then it became edified. And now we're still fighting that same war, you know, 160 years on. Right. The the grand the grand lost, lost cause. cause. You read it. You read about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's good um, stuff, right? I mean, it, you know, it, it, Jason. In fairness, I grew up around all the battlefields. Okay, that's fair. You know, and so the 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 way I learned about a lot of the Civil War was a little bit of a romanticization romanticization of the superior tactical generals the tacticians on in this on the southern side of the confederacy and i didn't internalize the treasonous nature and the defense of slavery um until i was older you know probably in my 20s and like that was kind of fucked up man you know it was all when you grew up around here during that time, it was Robert E. Lee. Well, was I, those a man were of the honor. words that were in my uh, head just you know, now. I was just going to say, Robert E. Lee is a man of honor. No doubt, Josh. No doubt a man of honor. A man who would turn against the country that 
that essentially gave him all of his superior training. Right, right, exactly. Who who also sent George Pickett um, yeah. into the breach. Right. You know, just as Donald Trump is sending all of America, liberate yourselves, go out there and be warriors with no no treatment and no vaccine. Go ahead and be warriors, United yeah. States citizens, just as, you know, God will take care of us. He will provide just in, at hey. Gettysburg when Robert E. Lee turned to George Pickett, another Virginian, and said, go across that half mile of open field against an entrenched enemy on high ground and white decimated Pickett's entire well, men, men were made of tougher stuff back then. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Let's, let's and Robert E. Lee that, wasn't too. fighting for slavery. Robert E. Lee was fighting for Virginia. And states' well, rights. At that, uh, we, can't have the, we can't have the federal government telling us yeah. what to do. Well, you know, here. if everybody had to fight for their state, every state would have a differently motivated militia. <laughs> you know what I yeah. Because I don't know yeah. anybody in Ohio who's really going to put up that much of a fight. I mean, they're going to fight, but not for Ohio. They're going to fight for something mm-hmm. else. So I'm going to just say, that's and that's an aside. I don't know where I was going with that. I mean, I do know where I'm going with this. Uh, a lot of the military, the majority of the military, I don't know how many, is made up of volunteer civilians. It's, and a lot of them are brown. And if you start a race war and you send the military into the streets to quell vi- racial viol- you know, violence between you know, in minority communities, you're going to be sending people back to their communities with guns and telling them to restore order. It's, it's, the military in the streets is bad on so many levels, partly because the military is not trained to interact with civilians, because the military sees... Uh, the com- completion of a mission is more important and they understand what necessary loss of life means. Whereas civilian police officers are lethality is considered the extreme last resort. And and that's, you know, and that's why of course, again, George uh, Floyd case is so abhorrent because civilian police are supposed to be protectors. Um, but the military is not, they're not protectors. And if they get into the streets, uh, you know, I, I don't know what kind of craziness happens after that. I mean, I can remember being in, you know, traveling internationally before September 11th and being under the Eiffel Tower in France, in Paris, and seeing armed gendarmes with their machine guns and thinking, wow, you know, in America, we don't have to put up with this shit with like soldiers standing around guarding our monuments. Well, then, then September 11th happened, and of course, we had soldiers standing around guarding our monuments. Well, now imagine those soldiers telling you you can't leave your house without proper authorization and if you cross a border they might check your id and see if you're wanted for something or see if you're really supposed to be out of your house i mean that that's what donald trump is talking about he's talking about a fascist state i mean this guy is 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 a fascist dictator in all but name at this point fortunately we're not there yet but i also thought that Donald Trump would be too extreme for the Republican Senate. And I thought that there would be people who didn't want Russia deciding our election and having an undue or any other foreign nation having an undue influence on our most sacred democratic principles and 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 process. Well, if if he's breaking down. okay. so when I said Donald Trump, maybe sorry, maybe if he's breaking down the system, the system won't be there when he needs it. Okay, so we don't have 
soldiers in the streets yet. And we don't have civilian Second Amendment small dick cosplaying non-combat knowing Trump sycophants trying to get their jollies off on shooting black people. Wait, yeah. are we talking about militias now or are we just talking right. about gun Well, not, not, not necessarily militias. They're not yet. So far today, Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020, we have the threat of it. It has been, it has been threatened yesterday. A lot of his threats are empty. So okay. let's talk, say, are we talking about civilian militias or are, we, are you talking about just the national? Well, I'm just talking in general right now, where we're going in general right now. What we are in a fractured state. We need healing. What are next steps that we can take as citizens? Um, you know, there's information issues that are happening it, it, that are that are just sort of muddying the water of what the priorities are and should be. Where do you see, you know, how do you, what are the best ways for us to become involved and to start getting us on a road to recovery? Well, you know, the best case scenario is there's a huge backlash, great voter turnout in November. Donald Trump gets voted out of office and someone who's not Donald Trump is elected to the brother. We got to get to November. I'm talking about, but it doesn't seem like Donald Trump's going to give people the option of voting him out of office. It seems like this guy who's already been impeached. (laughs) So he's probably feeling pretty bold has uh, this guy is probably going to find a way to not have the elections or to have the, I mean, he's complaining about mail-in voting during a pandemic and he's saying that it's, it's not fair. Well, when a, when a guy like Donald Trump tells you something's not fair, it means he was trying to cheat that way and you're trying to cheat that way. Now that's his idea of what's not fair. So, you know, so I'm guessing, you know, when you declare martial law, you normally wouldn't have elections under martial law. Uh, because everyone would think that those erection, uh, erections would be <laughs> those those elections would be erections. So, I mean, you know, under martial law, there, there wouldn't be free and fair elections. Ostensibly, there would not be because people can't even move freely. So the pressure on voters would be overwhelming. So the idea that, I mean, it's, it's almost unthinkable because it's so un-American. But Donald Trump is, is that un-American in terms of the values that he's putting forward. So what, Josh, I, I guess the answer is I don't know. Yeah, that's a problem. Arm yourselves. <laughs> you well, You've hopefully already... we're, you know, I want to arm ourselves with information and compassionate action for now. I'm not going to, I mean, again, I own firearms. I'm, I'm you know, I grew up with, my old saying is a shotgun and a rifle were like a, a shovel and a hoe in, the, in our woodshed. You know, that was firearms are not something I'm, I'm against. Um, oh, I'm surrounded by hoes right now. Yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, don't get me started on that. Um, but, I, you know, we have to figure out a way, I think, to to there has got to be a unifying factor in this, because even some folks that I'm seeing saying stuff on social media going, I'm all for the peaceful protests. And I'm, you guys had me until, until the looting started. Yeah. And, and I, 
we need to break through that because the, 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 the property damage and everything else and the, and the is because people are so superficial out there and it's so easy for them to have their head turned. They're losing sight of the dead black people. Yeah. Right. And that's part what of what do we do to, the plan. Keep that, to keep that going. I know it's the plan. Well, how do we combat it is the thing. Hmm. Cause we have to, we have to do it or else we lose the, you know, elections are decided by the 8% in the middle. If we have them, if we have them, well, you know, you know, right now we have to assume that we're going to have the option that is guaranteed by the constitution. But Donald Trump's been shredding the constitution every day. So how do you keep that forefront? I mean, you know, there's so much messaging right now. There's so much information out there. I think if people unplugged, this is a big if, if you got people to stop, reading the news on Facebook, for example, uh, mm-hmm. and instead uh, reading, I don't even, you know, you're not supposed to sit with your neighbors and talk anymore. So, how, you know. well, or yeah, that case, talk with your neighbors. What are, what are some of your sources of news? And for the record, guys, Jason is not on the Facebook. I'm not on the Facebook. He right. Is, he is blessed. Right. Well, you know, I had to stop subscribing to my local newspaper, even their online, because they had such slow coverage uh, of the of what's going on with uh, with the protests. They're not even updating their website as the news is happening. So my sources are, you know, I work out with a couple of cops and I uh, hear but uh, they, they're not loose talkers, but maybe their spouses are. And then you know, so I'll get I'll get a couple of details there. And then I go to the barber shop and I hear what people are talking about there. And I ask them what they think. And, uh, you know, the you know, there's there's it's all word of mouth type shit for that. I, you know, I read the New York Times to get the big picture. Uh, but in terms of my community, I, I'm talking to people. I'm asking them questions. I'm seeing what people think. I'll, I'll ask people if they're if they're carrying a firearm now or if, what their comfort level is or did they hear shots fired last night and I see what they think about it um, and that's where I'm getting my news that's that's what informs me because when it comes down to it it's the communities that are going to survive or tear tear themselves apart because we're in a new we're in a new world order and I'm glad I don't live in Atlanta you know because the, there it's such a great city with so many different places to go and so much diversity. But if it turns on itself, it, you know, no city can can last, you know, turn it on itself. But if you're in Atlanta, you know, where are you going to hide? There's no there's no there's no safe place if it starts to go to shit in a small community like Lynchburg or in a small community like Leesburg. There there can be enough uh, common values, whatever those are across races and genders and uh, sexual identities, but just common values of being kind to people that will make a allow a community to be more resilient with all of these external challenges going on. And so even in Lynchburg, you know, we were able to survive the riots the last two nights with positive protests the following day. And every night shit gets a little crazy every day. People are singing hymns like the Who's Down in Whoville. That gives me hope that the community's not gonna tear itself apart. I guarantee you that's not happening in larger metropolitan areas because if it were, it'd be on the fucking news. It'd be the, the big story. If people were coming together uh, out of love 
and social distancing themselves. Now, some people would, would argue with your point. Yeah, you, the, please do. Let's hear it. I mean, well, I, I'm not saying that those some people is, is, is me, but a lot of folks are of the mind that the media won't cover something that's not controversial. I also hear a lot of the same people, you know, blaming the media for everything. Yeah. You know, they, they mitigate the awfulness of the toddler tyrant in the White House right now. Yeah with the undue influence of the media. And as someone who's been a communications professional for 20 years, I kind of take umbrage with that because if what this man is saying and doing, using him as a primary source only, is not scaring the living piss out of you, then you probably should do some self-inventory of your moral compass and whatnot. I don't need the media to tell me that that he is bad. But as far as, you know, there, there is a, a, a distrust, a natural distrust of if it bleeds, it leads. And so to your point of the sort of kumbaya community based community based, I'd call it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that that would, I'm not talking, no, I'm not talking kumbaya. I'm just talking, ask your fucking neighbors. like, what's up? Yeah. Check on them. Make sure everything's okay. I mean, when the police shut down the street in front of my house, people are walking by, not even going to the protest, just asking the cops, is everything all right? And, and, you know, same thing could happen in, uh, in New York, probably a more terse conversation there, but yeah. Uh, I think that communities are where the strength and resilience of our society lies. It's not, obviously it's not at the national level because we don't have that sort of leadership. So it's gonna take individual leadership uh, making things better. That's, that's, that's the only way that shit's gonna get better. Otherwise, then people are gonna be eating each other. You, you hear that folks? All politics are local. Is that what I said? This is, yeah, basically. And individual, you know, this is a time for everybody to shine. Be the example, you know, because there is that leadership void. And, you know, if you if we all approach it on a community level in a positive manner like this and we get to know our neighbors, then, you know, you're right that especially with the the prevalence of social media, we hide behind our computers and stop talking to each other. Right. I can't trust your Facebook post necessarily, but I can look you in the eye and tell if you're shitting on my pant leg or not. Now, you would love my Facebook posts. <sighs> I bet you I would. You know what? I think I would really like Facebook. I'd be like, Josh, that one slipped down my feed. I uh, didn't get to read your latest op-ed in the Asheville yeah. Citizen Times. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm publishing them in the uh, the Loudon Times Mirror now in Leesburg. They've been very, very good to me. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure I have a Google search set up, up to alert me when your name is. is uh, sure. Doesn't everybody? I mean, that's kind of. Yeah, that's just, okay. Hear that, folks? Set up your Google alert for Joshua Stack. <laughs>